I was in elementary school when my experience of dividing walls became most real to me. At that time, my father severely injured his back and was forced to get a very expensive orthopedic mattress. A single was all that we could afford. So that meant that my sister and I inherited and shared my parents' double bed. We already shared a room, which was challenging enough. And now our sleeping space was compromised as well. We attempted to mediate our situation by creating a wall, a line of demarcation, if you will, first using string, then with Lex flexible masking tape, then with small pillows, and finally with cardboard from a refrigerator box. I'd like to report that our creative solutions achieved peace between us, but in reality, blows were exchanged. And I perfected the art of sleeping on one quarter of the mattress while clinging to the edge. Now my childhood memory of walls that divide certainly doesn't equal the experiences of those in the early church. But I couldn't help thinking of it when I read this passage. Situations of alienation and estrangement dominated the time following Jesus' crucifixion under the Roman state. Being an outsider meant being rootless and isolated and heightened the need to belong. The hostility was most contentious between Christians who had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah through Judaism and Gentiles in the world beyond Palestine who'd come to believe in the risen Christ. By the time this morning's passage was written, Gentiles had won their right to be full-fledged members of the people of God. But it had been an enormous struggle, as other letters from the Apostle Paul confirmed. In fact, this was clearly the most significant controversy faced by the early church in the first few decades of its existence. The dividing wall in Ephesians 2, verse 14, probably refers to the outside wall of the Jewish temple where an inscription warned Gentiles not to go beyond the outer court of the temple, the court of the Gentiles, lest they be immediately put to death for profaning the holy place. In verses 14 and 15, that dividing wall defined the hostility between Jews and Gentiles and represented Jesus' law that demanded separation and its enmity. Thus, it was not a foregone conclusion that Gentiles would be admitted to the church to experience equal status with the Jews. Some of the most prominent Jewish Christians, including Peter, found it difficult to admit them as equals. Eventually, the matter was resolved, largely through the efforts of Paul at the Council of Jerusalem around the year 50. Today's lesson views this struggle in retrospect and interprets it theologically. 
For the author of the epistle, it is the mystery of Christ which unites them, and he still marvels that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. One radical element in the text declares that God's unification of the two groups doesn't mean uniformity. One group doesn't fall under the power of the more dominant group. Rather, God in Christ has made one humanity of the two. Gentiles do not become Jews. Jews do not become Gentiles. Rather, both Jews and Gentiles become united in Christ as Jews and Gentiles. Here, the gospel affirms that Christ has become the meeting place for divided humanity. The shedding of the blood of Christ is the occasion through which those who were far off are brought near. Christ is our peace, since through his reconciling work he made peace. Regrettably, Mosaic law had become a symbol of exclusiveness, separating Jews and Gentiles. In Ephesians, The death of Christ proclaims the end to this dividing wall. The work of Christ creates a new humanity. Jews and Gentiles fused into one, each a separate humanity now fused into a single humanity through the reconciling work of Christ. Through him, ethnic and racial distinctions become obliterated, and by extension, sexual, and social distinctions as well. No longer do Jews and Gentiles seek separate ways of access to God. This dramatic reversal of the Gentile situation doesn't happen solely because of the death of Christ. They don't earn the disappearance of the dividing wall any more than the Jews voluntarily open the commonwealth of Israel to Gentiles. Both events occur only as a result of God's initiative. Even though the first century church resolved the so-called Jew-Gentile question in one sense, in another, it's never been resolved. Issues of inclusiveness and exclusiveness, whether based on race, nation, social status, or gender, still remain unresolved within the people of God. We live in hope that eventually hostility will be brought to an end, even when the world seems to be building more and higher walls. I can't remember a time when differences didn't divide. The dividing walls are especially high these days, and we seem to be divided by so many things which matter. We don't have to think too hard to come up with a list of many painful issues which divide us today, many of which have profound bearing on who we are as the church. We categorize ourselves and one another by race, by gender, by sexual orientation, by class, by citizenship status. We're deeply aware of our differences in political party, 
theological position and church denomination. The walls seem to grow higher as too often we listen only to those who already agree with us. For fear of being tainted or convinced or proven wrong, As a result, we don't allow our positions and therefore our hopes and dreams, indeed our very lives, to be refined by the fires of simple conversation. There's so much that divides us that we sometimes find ourselves hesitant to bring up things that we should because they're so controversial that we're fearful that our false sense of peace will be disrupted. Now, some in our world would argue that strong walls make for more peace. As long as we stay apart, we will not argue. In the words of the poet Robert Frost, good fences make good neighbors. Strong locks prevent break-ins. Security checks prevent violence. And good fences prevent smuggling weapons, drugs, and enemies. Yet we also recognize that eliminating boundaries does not in itself create peace. Peace comes only by eliminating the hostility behind the dividing walls. God does not merely tear down walls, but unites people in the one who is our peace, creating one new humanity. Many people never expected the Berlin Wall to come down in their lifetime, but it did. The feelings of euphoria, surprise, and possibility were palpable. If that wall could fall, what else? The end of apartheid in South Africa brought even more hope and excitement. The divisions of black, white, and colored were falling and reconciliation became possible. Painfully, though, many of these divisions are all too present and distressing today. How agonizing it must be for people on both sides of the dividing line. Maybe they aren't arguing over being circumcised or uncircumcised, but the result is the same, divisiveness. Each side thinks they're right, And maybe, by some stretch of the imagination, they both are in their own way. I don't know. However, I am certain that God never intended us to be divided in this way. Whether politically, economically, or religiously motivated, walls of hostility are all around us, not just in the obvious places like the Middle East or Africa or Korea but also in Ferguson, Savannah, Baltimore, Chattanooga, Maine, and other places. Reconciliation presupposes the reality of sin, alienation, and hostility between those who belong and those who do not, between residents and aliens, between insiders and outsiders, The good news of Christian faith, according to the letter to the Ephesians, is that in our broken world, reconciliation is no longer a dream, a longing for 
what once was and a hope that some, what someday might be. It is something that already is. At least it already is for those who are in Christ, even if it is not a reality in the world torn by death, sin, and hostility. Because Christ is our peace, we as Christians understand peacemaking differently than others do. We recognize that God has already made peace in the person of Jesus Christ, even if the rest of the world doesn't recognize it. Peace has already been made, even though aggression and bloodshed continue, in the same way that death is no more, even though people continue to die. The peace that we have in Christ enables us to engage boldly sometimes even foolishly, in what may appear to the rest of the world to be a hopeless situation. God wants us to, wants to draw us back into an intimate relationship and by so doing bring unity to everything that has become disunited. This was God's intention from the beginning, and each of us, is called to be an ally of God in this work of justice and reconciliation. Our unity in Christ reunites us not only with one another, but also with God. The grace of God in Christ destroys and abolishes the divisions and hostilities of humanity in order to build a new humanity that becomes God's house in the world. Through Christ, we are enabled to be built into a temple where God can dwell, rather than building walls to separate us from one another and keep us safe. I urge you to take the peace of Christ to your own dividing walls and know that our Savior has gone before us to break down the hostility between us. This is our hope the hope that it is not ours to conjure or create. It already is. There is one new humanity in place of two because Jesus Christ has reconciled us into one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through his love. We have seen it in the most remarkable ways recently in the aftermath of the tragedies we mourn, haven't we? The families of the nine people murdered in Savannah speaking forgiveness. A descendant of Jefferson Davis pleading for the Confederate flag to be removed, saying that heritage doesn't matter. A group of Muslims raising $35,000 to rebuild Afro-American churches that have been destroyed by fire people of every background gathered to pray together. Christ's peace will prevail in the midst of hostility so that we are no longer strangers, but citizens of a new order, a new way of living in the peace and love of God. May it continue to be so. Amen. <laughs>